0: Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Good morning. Wow. I love the socializing. You're, um, you're starting to resemble Second Service. Like, they're, uh, they're like a herd of cats trying to get them pulled back in. I love uh, seeing everybody talking and smiling and the whole thing. And nobody threw anything. I, are we at church? Because I thought we were supposed to fight about stuff. No? Okay, good. Hey, uh, good morning. Welcome to Rock Bible Church. We are a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We are compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all to worship, be in a community that serves the greater community. Amen? Now, we're practicing those things and hoping to get good at them, right? Uh, and we're going to do that with our children this summer. We have a, a daytime vacation Bible school we call... Uh, Camp Rock, and it's coming up this summer. Would love if you've got uh, elementary age uh, kids. We would love to have them here and involved. And uh, there's info in the back. There's a URL code that you can you know sign up online by just taking a picture of it. But July 25th through 29th, and uh, you can connect with uh, Brent about that, or Megan, or talk to anybody in staff. And then you also you could email us info at rockbiblechurch.com. All right, so. That's one thing we wanted to make sure uh, you covered this morning. And then how was Easter? Yeah. Okay, you were nice to the family. All right, good. Good. Yeah, he's risen. Okay, I just had to get one more in because it's like it's going to be a whole another year before we get to do that again. So just as he said, that's right. Now may his blood be on us and our children, right? Amen. Uh, hey, we're going to go back into our series we were in before we got to Easter. You know, we, um, we took a couple weeks. We did Palm Sunday a few weeks back, and then last week we did Easter. We had a Lord's Supper service in the middle there, uh, Thursday of Passion Week. Every year we do a Lord's Supper dinner, and it's more of a gathering, a little teaching on communion and why we do communion, and, we, and then we share and participate in it together. Um, put that on the calendar, have fun. It's free. It's uh, great food and uh, it's a good time. Just good socializing. That thing you were doing just a minute ago, like during the break, you're all talking to each other. Yeah, we do that, okay? Plus food. So uh, would love for you to be part of that. Um, but before that, we were in a series on the book of Hosea. Our tradition is to go through books of the Bible chapter at a time and see what the Lord has to say out of each chapter. And we're going to continue that series uh, this morning. Um, with a twist. I know this is going to throw some people off, but we're going to do two chapters today. So we're back into Hosea. We're uh, Hosea chapter 7, but we're also going to do chapter 8. They're not that long, but they kind of go together in kind of a weird way. And I, it just, it caught my attention. and thought, oh, let's just put them together and um, and then see how that goes. So um Let's pray, and then we're going to get into the passage, Hosea chapter 7, verse 1, to start. Uh, Lord, thanks for this morning, and thanks for what we get to sing the reality, the truth of who you are, and then the reminder for us. We walk and live, hear, and listen to all kinds of distractions, sometimes led by our own intentions or desires and we always need a constant reset and I pray Lord that that's what we would uh, get this morning I thank you for what's talked about in this passage the comparison between the external and the internal and and I just pray that you would guide us this morning towards yourself that this morning would honor your son Christ his finished work on the cross And what that means beyond just the forgiveness of sin and grace and salvation. uh, But how can we live? What can we expect? And how do we enjoy you? And I pray that be the use of our time this morning. So uh, be with me this passage and these people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, Hosea chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, When I would hear Israel, does that look like it's the middle of a sentence? Yeah, yeah, it's a continuation from chapter 6 and it's talking about uh, Judah and the fact that uh, certain things are going to happen. And when is this going to happen? Um, it says, well, when when I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed, and the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely, the thief breaks in, and the bandits raid outside. Um, he says, you know, things aren't going well. And, and this is all symbolic uh, language for... Uh, people aren't following the Lord. Now, I know that's a foreign concept to you because of the culture that you live in today. You know, everybody follows the Lord and does what's right and moral and good all the time. Um, there's no news reports of anything to the contrary ever. And um, uh, we drip with sarcasm here from time to time, okay, uh, because we think it's a great teaching tool. And we believe that the Lord has a sense of humor. Um, he doesn't have a sense of humor here, though. Uh, because he's talking about how they're off base. And I want us to see a little thing that is really going to kind of come out over the next um, 29 verses or so. Um, it says, the thief breaks in. Um, the, the fear of a thief that breaks in is he, he got into your personal space. Right? You know, you know, if the house is locked up, you feel pretty good. When you find out somebody got inside the locks... Well, they're, they're on your inside now, right? And that's, that's bothersome. Um, there's other times where, where the house is good, or your business, whatever you're trying to lock up and keep protected, the shed with the tools, right? Has anybody ever lost tools? That's, that's, that feels like worse sometimes for me, right? Steal the silver, but don't take my power saw, <laughs> right? Um, sometimes you have the inside stuff locked up, but then the bandits raid outside. They come and they take your car or all your lawn gnomes, which really they did you a favor, but you just feel cheated like somebody well they didn 't get inside, but they they 're messing with my outside um, there 's some symbolism here going on with with what Jose is saying that when we are outside of God's will when we stop following Him, when we get distracted or ignore Him, or just kind of do our own thing. It it messes with the that in, gets inside and it trashes the outside. So you got your internal and your external are having um, simultaneous struggles. Um, I, have you had that experience? Is it just me that goes through life and it seems like when everything around me starts to fall apart, then I start to fall apart inside, and then when things are going good on the inside, everything on the outside seems to just fall into place like the stars aligned. You ever notice that symmetry? Like things are going well or they're not going well. You know, Very seldom in my life have I had like, well, on the inside, everything's great, but on the outside, it's a t- catastrophic mess. You know, usually there's a, this kind of symmetry, and Hosea is going to draw attention to that. We're going to see that come out here. Uh, verse 2, they do not consider... That I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them, right? That's an outside thing, right? Uh, They are before my face. By their evil, they make the king glad, and the princes by their treachery. So they do whatever the king wants to to keep them happy, at the same time ignoring God. Ooh, this is a little test. Um, As a church, are we political? Ever. Ever. Okay, okay, we got to start. We're going to throw this, um, we're going to start a new lesson today. Hosea's out. Um, we don't do politics. Okay? Everybody say yes. Yes. yes? Yeah, we don't do politics. We do not exist to do politics. What do we do? We're at church and I asked a question. Jesus. We do God, right? Period. So we don't do politics at all. We don't do political, right? Is this a little bit of a political commentary, though? Uh, you can have kings and princes or governors or mayors or bosses or whatever. Whoever's in charge, we don't play and cater to them. Who drives us? God does. Now, did he put the king in place? Did, when I say he, did God put the king in place? Yes. yes. Did, the, did God put your boss in place? Say yes. Um, the mayor, the police officer that pulled you over was sent by God. Okay, so we submit to authority. You know this, right? This is like a major Christian tenet that we submit to the authorities, right? That's true, but we don't just sit catering. You know, we're not running around uh, finding uh, police officers and handing them gifts every chance we get, right, because we're trying to keep them happy as if they run the show. That gets us in trouble, uh, verse 4, They are all adulterers; they're trading one thing for another. They are like a heated oven whose baker ceases to stir the fire from the kneading of the dough until it's leavened. This is the idea where you, you start the fire, you get the oven all hot and the fire going and you put your stuff in there to cook and then you leave it. You never rotate it. You don't stoke the fire. What, what's going to happen to your, let's say it's bread. What's going to happen then? It's going to cook unevenly? Right, it's it's not going to go well, or it might stop cooking because the fire went out. You're not tending it. Um, What's that saying about relationship with the Lord? We got to tend the fire. We got to rotate it from time to time. We're paying attention to our relationship with the Lord. Said, nah, you're like, you think it's a one-time job, right? Well, I filed for the draft, and now I'm good. Never have to do anything again. That's not a relationship with the Lord. You don't just sign up for fire insurance and. Now you're okay. Um, Verse 5, on the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. So it's the king's, let's say it's the king's birthday. Um, You think there's a party? And what do the princes spend their time doing? Partying, right? Are there other things that need attention that day? I mean, is there day-to-day management of life? There is, but they're not doing it. He stretched out his hand with mockers. For with hearts like an oven, they approach their intrigue. They just, they're they not checking their heart, whether they're stirring the fire, rotating what's, what's supposed to be cooking in their, in their relationship with the Lord. They just kind of leave their heart to be how it is, and then they go and they chase their intrigue. All, right? um, all their anger smolders. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven, and they devour their rulers, and their kings have fallen. Wait, I thought they were catering to the kings and the rulers. How, what, what happened? Uh, that was such a good system. It was, it was totally working. Um, why doesn't it work? Why does it eventually fail? Because you cater to the kings and the princes and the rulers and authorities so long as what? So long as you can continue to have wine and party on the Burt King's birthday and everything goes the way you want it. As long as it serves you, whoops, what do we just find ourselves serving? Self. Right? Um, This concept finally started making sense to me, and then light bulbs started going off. You you know the first commandment? Here's the concept. It's going to take a second to get there. Okay. You know the first commandment? Oh, no. I'm at church and there's 10. I know there's 10 of them. And I know it was like Hezekiah or something or maybe it's somebody else. I can't remember. Was it Abraham or Moses or maybe it was Daniel? I don't know. What was the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Right. And so um, the concept is then we get into like idols. Right. We don't have another god we think of like what is a god for us that could draw us away well we don't have baal anymore we don't do that whole aphrodite any of the greek or roman gods or anything we're kind of we've moved on from false gods scott okay how about greed how about money? How about sex? How about several other things that can draw your t- material possession, uh, power and status, and those kind of things? Uh, whatever is a temptation can tend to draw your time and attention. Time and attention is a practice of worship. Uh, so how many idols are out there? Lots. Fashion, cool hairstyles, which I do not suffer from. Right, that's not a temptation. Um, and then, and then here's the twist concept that I'm getting to. If I want my hair to lurk a certain way, that becomes the thing I pursue. Or I want status and influence within an organization. I push to get to that. Um, if I am uh, pursuing relationships uh, with the opposite sex regularly, as if that's like defining and you know, um, who's Passions and desires, am I actually chasing? Yeah. Self. So, here's the concept that started to make sense to me, and then all of a sudden, all the lights started going off. There are no actual false gods, there are no actual false idols, save one, because all of it comes back to my passion, my desire, what I want, my greed, my thinking. My preference. So who's the only false god? Self. Ooh. Now, I love this because I've just simplified the equation. Or the fight, the battle. Like, there's two entities only, right? There's me and God and conflict, and if I can figure that one out, then I'm good. As long as God wins and I recognize everything else is a um, manifestation of my own self, distracting, tempting. Wow. That's great, because then I can reduce and figure out why is it that when I pursue that, it's about me. What about me is making me pursue that? (gasps) Ooh, what's smoldering in me? What have I neglected in the furnace or the oven? Uh, If we go back to the analogy here. Um, Are we on eight? All the kings have fallen, yeah. None of them calls upon me. Verse 8, Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Right? You just mix him with the people, whatever the people want. Popular opinion, best practices. This is what everybody's doing. Everyone voted for this. Verse 9, strangers devour his strength, and he knows it not. You put in with the people, and then what do the people slowly do to you over time? I just I just need one little piece. Okay. Can I can I have another little piece? Alright, can I have a little piece? Oh, that piece you can keep, but I'm gonna paint it for you. Right? What happens to you and your identity and you, you start um, it's another concept. You start dissipating. Right? What's dissipation? And you start spread out and and become thin and you start to lose value or identity. Uh, you don't smell the same, you don't think like you used to, it's a rough one, um, because you're being devoured, Uh, and he knows it not. You ever wind up someplace and then look around and go, wait, how did I get here? You have this moment of epiphany of consciousness where you find yourself like, and then you have to think, oh, wait, I, I know how I got here. This happens to me normally when I wake up from like a heavy, heavy sleep. If I'm traveling or I'm in a different place, you know, I'm at the family cabin or I fall asleep on the couch at home because I was too tired, and you wake up and you're not in the same place you thought you were supposed to be, and you're, because I'm a heavy, I'm a heavy sleeper, right? Like if there's an earthquake and we all die while I'm sleeping, I'll never know. Because I'll sleep through the whole thing, right? And all of a sudden I'll be at the pearly gates like, what happened? There was an earthquake, really? Yeah, yeah you missed it. Um, But I'll wake up and think to myself, wait, I'm on a couch, but this isn't my, you know, you're trying to figure out where you are. This happens in our lives spiritually, in our spiritual condition, where you let things in, you let people have influence, um, you lower standard, you say, I'll just take a break for a little bit. And all of a sudden, it creeps in and takes over. It's like a vine or an ivy, right? You ever planted potato vines on purpose? You do that once, right? And then never again. They just take off and take over. Um, But this idea that you don't know it, that's a scary one. How much is going on that you don't know? Um, I would submit to you, here's one of your greatest needs for a God, right? Like, if, you, if, if we want to have a little fun, you know, question time with the pastor. Uh, let's play trivia. Top 10 reasons you need God. Well, we're sinners and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, that's in the top 10, all right? Um, he offers grace and forgiveness. Okay, that's a good one. He is good. Oh, that's that's a good one, too, right? We're three of 10, somewhere in there, right? We don't have to rank them per se. Uh, let, me, let me make a suggestion for one that should be in the top 10 of your list. How much stuff is going on that you don't know? Almost all of it, right? Like I, it, The more I think about the stuff I don't know, don't have control of, don't have experience with, have no concept of, it's crushing. It's overwhelming. I cannot see into the inner life of any other person on the planet. How many there? There's so much going on there, just that. What's God's future plans? What's He gonna do with my kids? Will I have grandkids? Will I not? What genders will they be? You know, I mean, so many things. What's the future of this church? How long will my car continue to run? I mean, there's so many things we don't know, right? And it's super frustrating me because I, I have all these relationships where I talk to people and they give me that oh, I don't know. But they actually do. Hey, uh, how you doing? Oh, I don't know. That's a lie. You know how you're doing. You're just not sharing. Hey, you want, what do you want to do for dinner tonight? I don't know. What do you want to do? No, you know. You're just not sharing. right? I was thinking about this the other day. What's the only times you can say, I don't know, and it's actually true? And I came up with a cute, sarcastic, goofy pastor answer. Okay, ready? Somebody asks you, how much do you not know? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That actually works. Right? I love that. And Scott, again, why are we talking about this as a need for God? Because most all of everything in all eternity, in every place, in every way, in every relationship, is outside your realm of knowledge. The category of I don't know is one of the biggest ever, maybe only surpassed by God himself. And so you need a God bigger than your I don't know category to take care of your I don't know's. What's going to affect you next year? I need a God for that. What condition do I have that I'm yet to know? I need a God for that. right? Hosea draws attention to this and says, ah, you, you got to be careful because stuff can sneak in. People can start influencing you. Things can start happening. And, and what you don't know is massive. It's the largest set, the largest variable in the equation. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon him, and he knows it not. Twice now we've been told we don't know something, right? You're getting old, and you don't know it. It's wearing on you, right? Um, How do they say you get gray hairs? Besides getting old, you get gray hairs from what? Stress. Stress. Oh, how'd you all know that? (laughs) Hmm. Right? Must be common. We're going to see this um, knows it not thing come back in a minute here. Uh, The pride of Israel testifies to his faith, yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Um, There's kind of your uh, culminating statement for the first 10 verses. Um, In all these things we don't know, in the exterior, the interior, the things that sneak in and creep and influence, that smolder. What are you supposed to do with those things? It's on the top of the slide right there. You're supposed to return to him. Right? It's kind of what I was praying at the beginning right before the sermon, this idea that we have to be reminded regularly to come back to him because we're easily distracted. Uh, Ephraim is like a dove, verse 11, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. Well, what's wrong with that? Where, where did um, uh, Judah and Israel, where would the tribes of Israel, where would they come out of? Remember, they weren't slaves in Egypt. So why, why are they calling to Egypt? Because they want to go back? As if it's better if they went back? Um, what's the Assyria thing? That's the big um, world power. And they're calling to them. If you get the attention of the world power and they show up, what are they going to do? Take over, right? Well, you want to go back to Egypt or you want to be taken over by a whole fresh group of people careful what you ask for. um, Guess what ends up happening? They get the ladder. They keep calling out to Assyria, and they want to make deals with Assyria, and Assyria says, oh yeah, let's make a deal. Here's how the deal works in this relationship. We make all the decisions. Good luck. They get conquered, right? The only thing that saved them from Assyria was the Babylonians. They beat the Assyrians. And then guess who's in charge of Israel and Judah? Babylonians, right? But that's okay because uh, they got rescued from the Babylonians by the Persians. Persians took over. Now who's in charge? Persians. This goes on for generations and generations and generations. Be careful when you stray from the Lord and kind of do and what you call for, what you ask for. Because it not only will come in and smolder, it might just burn the bread. And now you have nothing redeemable or salvageable. As they go, I will spread over them my net. I will bring them down like birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them. For they have rebelled against me. The very thing that they're um, running from is demise. They're worried about their demise. So they're chasing after, well, if we make a deal with Assyria, they'll protect us. That's not what happens. Because they're going to get destruction because of their rebellion, because they've turned from God. God? I would, actually, I would make the argument that your, relationship, your, your life, your experience, how things are going is directly related to your relationship with the Lord. How's that relationship with the Lord going? Well, it's kind of a struggle. Okay, struggle, at least you're communicating, you're engaging. And you're probably doing better than you think. How's your relationship with the Lord? I don't know. Whoops. Then I got questions, right? I would redeem them. What does God want? Does God like destruction? Is that like his business? I mean, should should we like change gears and start doing hellfire and brimstone? We're all going to die. You're all sinners. You're not worth a piece of trash and all that kind of stuff. Is that who God is? No, never. He created you on purpose. Why? Because you thought he thought you were awesome. Ooh, look what I can make. I'm going to make this one different than all the other ones. And boy, I like them. Now, they're knuckleheads and they stray off or they do other things and they act like untended ovens, but I would redeem them. But they speak lies against me. It's tragic. We find ways to come up with lies about God. I mean, the irony of that is just hilarious. Like the one thing you shouldn't be able to lie about is God. And the one thing that is as true more than anything is God himself. And then we, but yeah, we still come up with, well, you know, I, got, I think God thinks this. Oh, really? You do? Huh. Good for you. God would never, oh, you have a limit for God now. Oh, congratulations. Let's see how that works out. Well, God wants me to, oh, God said to me and told me, really? How come he's not telling anybody else, just you? I, I started realizing, like, when I think God's talking to me, I have to double check, triple check, quadruple, quintuple, 30 check. How many people can I get around me to confirm that? Can I find confirmation in Scripture? Why? Why? because I want to be careful that I'm never lying about him, misrepresenting him, misunderstanding him. If I can find something in Scripture that contradicts my thought about God, guess who's wrong? And it's not the Scripture. (laughs) Me. I'd be wrong then. Uh, Verse 14, they do not cry to me from the heart. What are we supposed to do? We're first from our heart cry to him. But they wail upon their beds. They're professional criers, but they're crying to the wrong thing. For grain and wine, they gash themselves. They rebel against me. It used to be a common practice. If things weren't going well, you would, you would cut yourself as, as like a sacrifice or a punishment to then maybe the gods would appease you and give you what you're waiting for. Oh, it's not raining enough. Let's cut ourselves. We're going to wear a sackcloth and ashes. And he's you saying, you're doing that, but you're missing the point. The one who actually answers your prayer is not the one you're praying to. You're going through all the motion. Uh, you're going through all the motions, but uh, neglecting the source. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. I put them in a position to succeed. That's verse 15, and yet they try to do their own thing. They return, but not upward. What a great set of phrases. They return, they try to repent, but they don't repent upwards. What's the point? Who are they not looking at? God. So they try to repent, but they repent to things that are uh, no return. They're like a treacherous bow. A bow and arrow. What, what would be a treacherous bow and arrow? Like what, what do you think a treacherous bow does? You shoot it, and where's it go? Huh? It goes the wrong place. How many times? Every time. It just keeps going the wrong place. That's not a bow anymore, is it? It's called waste of time. That's what it is. Like a treacherous bow, their princes shall fall by the sword. Because their insolence of their tongue, this shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Ooh, back to Egypt. I wonder what happens there. Uh, That's chapter seven. Let's jump into uh, chapter eight. It's even shorter. Let the trumpet uh, set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. So, continuing to turn the wrong directions, right? But make some noise so that we get everybody's attention about this because we need to stop. To me, they cry, My God, we Israel know you. That's what they cry to me. But Israel has spurned the good, and the enemy shall pursue him. Stay on this slide for me, tech booth, please. Um, This is amazing what's said right here, verse 2. To me they cry, my God, that's self-explanatory. We, and then Israel, they call themselves their name, which um, he says uh, what Israel means is wrestles with God or competes with God, interacts with God, heavily chasing, bantering back and forth, right? My God, we who wrestle with God, know you. Is that meant to be true? But it's absolutely false. It's opposite. All right. My, by your name, this is supposed to be true. And that's what you cry out to me, but you cry out to me in vain because you're not actually wrestling with me. You're not actually interacting with me. All right, now we can keep going. Verse 4. Uh, they made kings... But not through me. Whoa. They set up princes, but I knew it not. And there it is. One of my arguments for pairing the two chapters. Remember before, like you got gray hairs, but you did not know? he says, oh, we want to do the do not know game. Okay. Well, how about I know not your kings and know not your princes? Ooh. Now, does he actually know them? Like literally yes but what's symbolically being said here we can treat them and you can have an experience with them as if i don't know them if you want to pretend like you don't know me aren't paying attention then i can pretend like i don't know you and i'm not paying attention right now is god always paying attention yes yes but he's doing what he can to get the attention of the people. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. There's that self thing playing out. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria, the calf being a potential idol. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel, a craftsman made it. Verse 7, it is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. The things that you pursue will fall apart if they are other than God. For they sow the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. Ooh, heard that phrase before? Reap the whirlwind? Ooh, now you know where it comes from. Although, probably um, you could find it in Ecclesiastes too. All right. Um, What's the idea there, sowing the wind? You, you sow your seeds, and you sow them into the wind. Where are they going to go? Who knows? Good luck. It's a game of chance, right? The standing grain has no heads. That's like it's not growing, and it's not going to reproduce, and it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it like it's it's not going to provide any flower and it's not going to reproduce so you're not going to get anything in this season and you're not going to get anything in the seasons to come Israel is swallowed up already there among the nations as a useless vessel for they have gone up after Assyria a wild donkey wandering alone (laughs) if you ever want to um, insult somebody uh, repent and ask the Lord's forgiveness because it's wrong, okay? But what if, like, if you want to chastise yourself, Scott, quit acting like a wild donkey wandering alone, right? What a great little, like, am I, am I wandering on my own on this one? You know, am I, am I acting like a donkey? Ephraim has hired lovers, replacements, right? Is it really love then? We can't find a replacement for God, because it's not really a false God, because false gods don't exist. In fact, um, Paul says it in the New Testament, there is no such thing as a false God. There's God, and there's you. There's God, and then there's sin, and that's it, All right? Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. They hire allies. They they make a deal with Assyria, and and guess what happens anyways? Does Assyria, do they do okay? They do. What happens to the ten tribes of the north? They disappear. They're now referred to as the lost tribes of Israel. And the king and the princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. They're going to regret their decision. They paid tribute to another country, and the moment they did that, the other country turned on them. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for singing, for sinning. <laughs> why, do you, why do you multiply an altar? Like, what's an altar for? It's, it's a place where you go to offer sacrifice. Right? When you offer sacrifice, it's because you have to pay for sins. sins right? Well. I want a deal where I can do more of the stuff that I want regularly in multiple places, but then that's a lot of sin, so how do we solve this? I know. Let's build altars all over the place. Then no matter where we are, we can do whatever we want, and then we can just offer sacrifices. And we'll be okay. Right? It's the same argument made in the New Testament when Paul says, you know, should we continue going on sinning so that grace can abound? You know, God's grace would be that much greater if he's forgiving more. So let's do a whole lot of bad stuff. Then he'll forgive a whole bunch and his grace will look that much bigger. That's as backwards as it gets, right? Missing the whole point. Um, and this is the statement to them, right? So, uh, wow, how did we jump to verse 1? There we go, 11. They've multiplied altars for sinning. They've become to him altars for sinning. Watch what just happened there. They've multiplied. They continued building altars. But then watch this. Because that was their intent, what slowly creeped in, smoldered, took over, and the external became the internal. What they were doing on the outside became them. They have become... Altars. Ooh, that's rough. That's a progression. Uh, Where I write to, were I to write for him my laws by the 10,000s, they would be regarded as a strange thing. If I tried to detail it out as much as possible, they still wouldn't get it. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins, and they shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. Ooh. Ooh. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Uh, I don't know. That didn't sound like a blessing, Scott. Like ended with... Fire and uh, you said we weren't doing fire and brimstone and the whole thing. Yeah, no, we're we want to get to this other thing. You know, right there it said like at the end, if you have a stronghold, God's going to destroy it. Like, where do you where what do you do with your strongholds? Do as much as you can, as fast as you can, because how long are they going to last? They're going to come crashing down. It's very similar to um, something we talked about a few weeks back, this idea that God has landmarks, and we don't move God's landmarks. When we move God's landmarks, it's usually in pursuit of us building our stronghold. Um, He's going to restore his landmark, and he's going to crush your stronghold. Ooh, that's a rough one. So where are you building? And what are you building is really the big question. Let's let's jump through... um, three little concepts here. These are the ones we'll cover today. Um, I acknowledge that in two chapters of the Bible, there are probably plenty of things that could never be captured in just one sermon. Amen? Yeah, okay, here we go. Um, First one is this. uh, The internal and the external soon resemble each other. The internal and the external soon resemble each other. It's this idea that um, you know, they, were, they were raiding on the outside and then the thief broke in on the inside. Remember that verse? And it, and it speaks to this other concept too. It's like um, you set up an oven and you started the fire and you put some stuff in and then you didn't tend it and it became worthless. It burnt out and smoldered and there's nothing there. And that's you too. If you don't pursue the Lord. right? Now didn't he say he, he would redeem them? Right, bring him back, doesn't he want that? Is that true too? You pursue the Lord, can your internal pursuit of the Lord, can it change your external? Absolutely. Always does. And they will resemble themselves. I would redeem them. Where does that start? Well, I need a new car first. And, uh, no, 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 it's not how it works. I need some friends. Mm, no, you don't. Let me work on you first. Why? So that you could be a friend before you find a friend. Uh, you might need to m- forgive your own, clean some house on your own internal, and then watch what he does with your external, right? Um, does it go the other way? The external, start influencing your internal? Yeah, you, um, you, you're at war with the external. What's going to happen inside you? You become a warrior, and you're at war. Right? Um, uh, who sets up your external again? Who, 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 who oversees, who's sovereign over all of the things outside of I don't know and I have no control over? Who, who's in charge of all of that? Yeah, careful how much you battle your external, right? My experience is that God, um, as you can see this nicely, the Lord manipulates the things around me to get my attention. And he's a professional. He's very good at it. Uh, Which begs the question, how, how quickly can I get my internal and external to resemble him? How can I see him in my external and how can I see him in my internal? That's the first one. Second one, um, God wants to be the unknown external shaping your internal. When When you believe that life is happening to you, okay, I get that. When you believe that that's negative and there's pessimistic influence and, you know, and, oh, I'm afraid it's going to go badly, we're all going to die, right? Who was it, Droopy, the cartoon dog? We're all going to (laughs) die. When my family gets um, too negative and we're having a little discussion or something, uh, somehow Droopy shows up. (laughs) We're all going to die. Um, you'll start to believe it, you'll start to function that way. When you start to believe that you're um, being shaped on the external by things you don't know and that God is in charge of those things, um, say it pulling the strings or orchestrating it or hands all over it or under his wing, or pick your favorite phrase. That's going to shape you internally in a different way. Your life will go as well as you think God is in control of it. Wait, that, that was like a weird sentence, Scott. It was. On purpose. Because weird sentences force more thinking. Your life will go as well as your belief of God's shaping it. How much do you believe that he is in control? Even the bad stuff. Well, I just have to take that as if it's from the Lord. yeah, but it was pretty painful and negative. and what do I do with that? Look for what's next. Would what I need to correct in myself? How could Christ have died for that? Because he did. Here's where we get in trouble. Did God do that? You ask that question. Did Christ die for that? You ask that question. That's a scary set of questions. Why? Because you could say, no, oh, I don't think God's in that. <gasps> oh, you just limited God. I don't think Christ died for that. Ooh, you're making value statements for God now? Who just took over the throne? Can I see your scepter? Because if you're a god, you probably have a really cool scepter. And that's about all interest I would have in you as a god because I want to be no part of your decisions or your influence or anything. I just want to know, do you have a cool looking little scepter or not? Because that's the only parting gift you're probably going to get. And it won't even end up with that in the end. Scott, are you on a rabbit trail? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, God wants to be uh, the unknown external that's shaping your internal. Um, How well could that go? When you when you want to do unknown, remember you didn't know the hairs, you didn't know that you were you were being destroyed, and he says, "Yeah, but you, you we can keep doing that, and you can pick kings and princes, and I won't know them either, or I would redeem you, right? All right, here we go. Last one. Oblivious becomes defining. Oblivious becomes defining." Well, you know, Scott, I mean, uh, that's a great, but I, I don't really know about that. I just, I got to stick to my thing and keep doing my thing. And, and yeah, but there's something going on over here. Yeah, but you know, I mean, uh, over here, things are going pretty well. And you know, I, I kind of like these things. And, you know, and I don't know enough about this, um uh, If I don't know it, it won't hurt me. What you don't know can't kill you. You ever heard that? I've been realizing this. Weak, that, that is an absolute fallacy. It's a total lie. Pretty much almost every time you die, it's something you didn't know. What you don't know can't kill you. It, it absolutely always does. If you want to go around, um, what's the phrase, head in the sand? Yeah. You want to be an ostrich and bury your head in the sand? I mean, that's, that's a rough one, because then you got a really, really small head. with a really, really small brain, but you got a really big backside. All right, that's all I could think of <laughs> as an ostrich. You want to go through life and just be oblivious to a bunch of the stuff that's going on, probably that he's putting in your backyard or your front yard or right inside your house. But you want to keep just doing your own thing. Say, so okay. look, that's a smoldering oven. You're going you're gonna to start to fall apart. You're going to act like you don't know. And if you're going to act like you don't know, then I'll act like I don't know either. And you keep on doing your facade and your thing, and there's zero there. And then it becomes defining. I was um, with someone the other day, and uh, they were saying to me they were having a hard time with a, re- a relationship with a third person. And I was trying to understand what is the difficulty with the third person. And they were basically saying, I I just never feel like they're there. We interact all the time. And we talk and exchange it. But I never feel like I'm hearing the actual person. I'm getting like the company line or what they think they're supposed to say. I'm getting surface. And I'm never dealing with a real person. Now in the midst of this, I'm prepping for this sermon and I'm thinking, oh, they've, bec- they've become defined by their obliviousness. They're, they're not there. No one's having a real experience with that person. That's rough. And then I asked the second person that I was talking to, well, what do you think that is? Well, I think it's probably a personality profile thing. I was <laughs> like, uh, no, no, that's way too fast and easy of an answer. It's a lack of effort on the oblivious person to engage. Chase the Lord. I mean, if you're fake with people, folks, you're probably fake with God. And if you're fake with God, you're probably fake with people. And let's take the probably out. You know? Um, I mean, you're perfect, but you're not perfect. What? You, yeah, you're perfect, but you're not perfect. We're, f- we're afraid of the not perfect part rather than enjoying the perfect part. Scott, this doesn't make any sense. You are so weird. How were you made? By God? On purpose? Exactly the way he wanted you? Okay, I'd call that perfect. Are you good at everything? What? I thought that was the goal. Have you given up on perfection so that you can enjoy your perfection? Ooh. Because when we keep chasing perfection and chasing perfection, uh, we become oblivious. To what? Our own perfection. I have to be this way, I have to be that way, you know. How come you don't wear the designer clothes and do something with your hair? Because I'm not that guy. I'm not interested in that anymore. I don't have the latest this, but I do have the latest that. Well, how come you overvalue that than the other? It's part of my perfection. I don't think any of you are sitting at home going through one passage at a time all week, geeking out on it, chasing like verbs and stuff and why not? Thought you're supposed to be perfect. Right? Isn't that the goal? No? You don't need to be that person. We will be so much healthier when we pursue the Lord. But what he's doing on the external and what he's doing on the internal, we call them both good and we stop lying about them. And he says, ah, now you're on the road to redemption. When it says, I would redeem them, is that right now when you say I would Right now, redeemed, they would have to say, I have redeemed them. Has Christ redeemed you? Okay. Now here's the, here's the wrench I'm going to throw in it. Ready? Is he redeeming you? What? Um, no, he was on the cross and he said, it is finished and I am redeemed. Excellent. Great theology, good doctrine. Is he continuing to redeem you? Uh, I don't know how to answer that question, Scott. Is he still working on you? Yeah? I would redeem them is a statement about future. It is an ongoing party, experience, joy. How do we do that? We enjoy our perfection of what is me, what is him, and then let him take and go with future on that. And over here is no longer perfection, but future. What if your launching place was secure, stable, firm, what could you go out and accomplish? And as you went out and accomplished with him, what could that do for your relationship with him? What could it do for your relationship with others? You could walk into any room, into any relationship, and be totally fine. And agree to anything. Why? Because no matter what happens in that room with those people, God's bigger. Amen? That's That's a hard one. It's an easy one to say amen. You know, when Scott's up here and he says amen, you go, amen. It's easy to say amen to. To live it. Ooh. That's rough. Because you and Nick had different ideas, and Nick came up with one, and you're like, oh, oh," but they're going to want to do Nick's idea, and you go with Nick's idea? That could work. No, I'm not talking about your marriage. Um. To go with someone else's idea, as if it's from the Lord? Whoa. Now we're not doing oblivious. Right? We're seeing how external and internal coexist. And then we're really chasing the first two words right there. Okay, this is a little have a little fun. Those two right there. God wants. How do we chase the God wants? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and and thanks for Hebrew poetry that is kind of obscure in some ways for us and yet as we look at it deep and rich and glorious like its author. We don't mean Hosea, Lord. We know it's you and your spirit. We thank you that it points to Christ dying for our internal and our external that you do absolutely know the definition of perfection and all its ramifications. And maybe, Lord, we hold on to most this morning the idea that you want to be defining. May we let you. If you never made that decision, uh, maybe this morning is the time where you start letting Him define. And maybe that's your prayer, like, just understand the cross that you died for me, that you solved sin. And I want that, and all the definitions that come with it. Define me. I wanna start that would redeem process today. Like, bring that down on me, Lord. Bring it on me. Lord, we thank you for this, the opportunities and and all, for the offering. May you bless it. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. May he redeem and define you. Amen. Amen. Go with him.